Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. Well, never has there been a time in history when gender stereotypes have been more widely acceptable to not conform to socially defined gender norms. Who's to say that a boy can't be sensitive and a girl can't be outspoken and strong? Now, as many of us would agree, every girl and boy deserves to feel free to express their emotions uh, and to be completely themselves without apology. Now, from the perspective of young boys, don't you think it's about time that we reframe what masculinity means in this new generation and just to give boys permission to embrace a new type of masculine identity that just feels right for them? So to help talk to us about this today, we welcome our special guest, Jessica Sanders. Now, a little bit about our guest. Jessica Sanders is a best-selling and award-winning author for Be Your Own Man. It's a beautifully written um, and thoughtful book that encourages a discussion about dealing with feelings and stereotypes for young boys. Now, Jessica uh, has got some other previous books uh, that include Love Your Body and Me Time, which have both been wildly successful right around the world. And Jessica is a a very passionate advocate um, and social worker whose mission is to support every young person to celebrate the differences within themselves and others. Thanks for joining us today, Jess. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Um, how am I, is a, I think a complicated question these days. I think my emotions kind of are a bit of, I've been calling it, um, a bit of a Corona coaster, but I feel like <laughs> it's just sort of like a little bit like this all the time. Um, but today I'm feeling good. I think I went for a walk early this morning. So I'm feeling kind of grounded in nature. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> and centered, which is always a good thing. Now, this is a really fascinating topic and something that I'm very passionate and, and um, to be speaking about and very grateful for your time as a thought leader in this space. And, you know, it really has been said that boys have an inherited and outdated story about what it means just to be a male. So I just love uh, for you just to expand on this just a little for us. Sure. Um, so for, for quite a long time, we've had a pretty strict idea about what it means to be a boy and a man in our kind of cultural narrative. Um, and we'd all know kind of what I'm talking about, you know, when you're growing up and all the trucks are for boys and the princess dresses are for girls and we compliment, you know, girls, oh, how pretty you look and boys, how strong you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these little differences right from, you know, the question what's the gender of your baby? Um, it's interesting that question actually, because we're all, we're so excited to know, but I think part of that excitement is because we think that we now know a piece of that child's story. We know that they're going to get married to a man if they're a girl and they're going to maybe, you know, like, like there's all these kind of stories that kind of creep in that we've already created a narrative for this sort of fetus, um, before they even come out into the world. And we don't actually know what they're going to be like. You know, they might be a girl that doesn't like dresses and, um, really loves to climb trees and get dirty and wants to be a farmer or something. You're like, we we just don't know. Um, but 
because I guess by no fault of our own as a result of social conditioning, um, we have these ideas of how we should be. And I guess the reason I do this work is because I think that, you know, we're all happiest when we're ourselves. Um, we all know what it is to repress part of ourselves because we feel shame that they're maybe not a normal thing to do or not the right thing or that we wouldn't fit in um, because of them. And it's a special kind of pain um, and it can actually manifest not only just in emotional pain, but physical pain. It's just something that can um, harm us in all areas of our lives. <laughs> and so I think this is particularly true with males because we've seen for girls that that definition has really shifted, which has been really exciting to see, you know, girls, you know, you can do anything. And we're really been opening up that definition and all the possibilities that there are for young girls and women. Um, and that's been really widely accepted and celebrated, which is, <laughs> which is a really, really great thing. Um, but I think that we've kind of left boys behind in expanding their definition. Um, I think partly because the empowerment that we give girls, boys already naturally by being boys in our society have that power um, and are associated with power. That makes but sense. The adverse of, yeah. And the adverse of that, and we celebrate in our culture power, strength, achievement. We celebrate masculine qualities. Yes. And so if you think about the feminine qualities that um, we associate with women, softness, and like empathy, vulnerability, um, nurturing behaviours, we can see that we don't value them right through to how much we pay childcare workers. <laughs> um, and the fact that we don't recognize women's labor, like those soft qualities for the longest time have not been respected or admired. And so to encourage a boy to say, Hey, you can be soft too. Why don't you be for, this is career based, but be a childcare worker. There's something not the or same as saying, Hey, mm. female, you can be a CEO. That's like, yeah, that's cool. Um, hey, boy, you can be, there's something jarring. And the jarring is because on the hierarchy of jobs, the hierarchy of behaviours, the hierarchy of bodies, softness is not up there. Um, Interestingly, but softness really, you know, when we think about the the, the qualities that we love in a person and most admire and that maybe we're going to remember them for forever, it's their softness, you know, it's their, the kindness that they showed us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how they made us feel. Like these are all the things that bring meaning to our lives are technically feminine qualities. I don't even like the words feminine and masculine because we are, you know, empathy isn't exclusive, you know, a soft quality is not exclusive to girls and women. Like they're human qualities. Um, So to kind of define them like that is kind of confusing. But if you think about the fact that we're all made up of these feminine and masculine qualities um, and at birth, basically we're just either subconsciously or consciously discouraged out of the one that we aren't, you know, society doesn't describe us to. So for boys, it's the feminine parts of yourself, essentially push them down, don't access them, don't show them because one, we don't think it's normal. It doesn't fit into our idea of what they should be. I really get this thing about this word normal, what's defined as being normal. It's a very archaic way of looking things of of defining what's normal (laughs) to anyone because everyone's got their own definition of what normal is, you know. Yes, exactly. But I'd I'd love to know, do you think the current normal or the definition of what it means to be male is actually hurting boys and, and men? And if so, how? 100%. Um, So there was a study recently done by the Men's Project and they interviewed about 1,000 men aged 18 to 30 and basically they defined the masculine stereotype into some pillars. So it was, you know, being physically strong, being dominant, um, things like having many sexual partners, being the breadwinner, like all these qualities. And 
if in these surveys the men ascribed to those man box rules, they were called, Mm -hmm. um, if they were in the man box, which is the rigid gender stereotype, they were far more likely to experience violence and use violence. Um, They uh, were engaged in bullying behaviours. Of those men, 44% had thought about suicide in the last two weeks. So they had poor, poor mental health. They're using violence, engaging in negative behaviours, um, and there was a clear correlation to our understanding of what it means to be a real man in there. And they did a further study recently that found that the gender, like the, if they believed in the man box, that was a stronger determinant than anything else, like socioeconomic status, um, cultural background, where they lived, like geographically, nothing else. It was like 20 times more likely that the man box would result in these behaviours. So it's hurting not only the community in, in older men and boys, but also it's hurting them emotionally. And also we see that, you know, men are three times more likely to die by suicide, far less likely to seek help uh, for mental health, which is a result of not wanting to appear weak or ask for help and, um, you know, wanting to be strong and resilient. Um, so, yeah, it, it is really hurting them. Um, and we have a responsibility, I think, to rewrite those rules and open it up, not just for even just for the boys, but for our community as a whole. I think it would create a lot of good for us if we could do that. Yeah, I understand the Beyond Blue research has also showed that men are three times more likely to die from um, suicide than women and are far less likely to seek help for mental health conditions overall as well. So it's interesting what a definition of it is to be strong. Um, to be strong, in my view, is actually to show vulnerability and to show your, your emotions. Mm. It's, it's to have the courage to do that. That's what my definition of is. It's not necessarily putting a mask on that, that is, you know, um, it's, it's easy to be able to hide behind a mask and sort of say, well, I'm strong and I'm going to do all these things, as you just said. Mm. My, my definition of what it is is to have the courage to be able to be mm. who you really are. So, um, but anyway, each to their own. But um, <laughs> be your own man. Um, your your book of course um is is a book that many men say this is the book that i wish i had read when i was a boy and i think it was ben brown an afl footballer from north melbourne who actually said that as well so it's a a beautiful unique book that for many people can be life-saving um for for the many you know children who don't fit into the narrow old ideas of what it of what maleness and manliness actually is so i just wanted to know initially also where did your inspiration come from this uh, like from this book um i think it largely came from the young boys that i work with in school so i'll go into schools and do workshops with them and talk about um initially we i sort of started doing a lot of conversations around body image um and you know appreciating our body for what it can do which is you know a callback to my first book love your body and i but i also talk a lot about um building emotional resilience through self-care i think you can't really separate these two things for me and as a social worker i always want to leave them with practical tools yeah um and so self-care is in both books and it's something that i deliver in workshops and schools and when i was in the schools talking about self-care i noticed a really um, prominent theme amongst young boys, which was that, um, you know, when I asked them what they liked, like, what are you into? What makes you you? We're trying to celebrate uniqueness in personality as well as in body, right? And 90% of them would say sport um, or some form of sport and the other 10% would say video games. But I think maybe, you know, I've visited what feels like hundreds of schools and I can only remember like a handful of kids that might have said something different that were male. So already, you know, in these years, three, four, five, six, they're very 
aware that they have to, like these are the acceptable male behaviours. And then I'd ask them, you know, what do you do to take care of yourself? Like what do you do when you're feeling sad? What do you do when you're feeling angry? How do you process and release those emotions? And they would say, oh, I just distract myself until it goes away. On all of them, honestly, that, you know, again, there's like a rare few that might say that they journal. Yeah, but they, they actively suppress it. And if you talk to a male in your life, you'll notice that they have the same coping mechanism. It's it's not happening. I'm pushing it away. I'm going to go pushing tinker with down. something. <laughs> I'm going to go tinker with something I don't want to look at because that's kind of all the option that we've given them. <laughs> Essentially, so we haven't is, given is them the skills do- or the tools or the language to know how to express it or anything like that at no. all. Interesting, isn't it? No. And those two things are inseparable. Like the mental health of boys is directly connected to gender stereotypes. And so some people might look at this book and say, this is a book about gender stereotypes. And it is, but it, it, it goes so much further than that, I think, to the heart of the issue, which is that boys aren't allowed to express themselves emotionally and it is disadvantaging them and everybody else. And um, like we too, as women, can internalise misogyny. I know I did. Growing up, I knew that girls could cry but I also knew that it wasn't a desirable or respected thing. And as someone Mm -hmm. that was very socially aware, including I'd be like, oh, to be more valuable, I shouldn't show my emotions. I shouldn't cry. And so, you know, my work as an adult is unlearning all of that stuff and being like, actually, as you said, the strength in vulnerability is humongous. I find it incredibly hard to be vulnerable. Um, I'm still having to unlearn that stuff. It takes immense strength. So, you know, it's not just this (laughs) Yeah. Patriarchy. Yeah. (laughs) Patriarchy is affecting all of us. We've all internalized these ideas. We Um, have. But yeah. So, you know, um, as I was mentioning at the start too, like we published your article and the title is how parents can help raise sons who practice positive masculinity. So for someone who hasn't read the article yet, can you please tell us what it's about? And of course, what inspired you to write it? Um, well, what it's about is, I guess in the title there, it's, it's how, how come parents and so some practical tips on how to nurture positive masculinity. And it speaks to, I guess, a lot of what I just said now, and I can go into more detail as well. Um, and what inspired me to write it, I guess it's that and every other article I write, it's the same reason is that I'm just trying to share knowledge and education in the hopes that we can prevent um, some unnecessary suffering in young people at the core. I did some values work recently and trying to figure out my purpose. And that's <laughs> essentially my purpose is to, um, to prevent unnecessary suffering. I lost um, a friend of mine, Ben, when I was 18 and he took his own life and it was a real surprise. I didn't know he was mentally unwell. I think a lot of his family didn't know he was unwell. Um, and just the fact that he could have gone through the world and gotten to that point and still not felt like he could tell other people yeah um has always stuck with me and um you see the pain that is caused just that ripple effect in the whole community oh, um, absolutely and as a young yeah and as a young person myself i you know have navigated my own mental health issues but i see it all around me um that a lot of my friends a lot of the young people coming out the kids i talk to in schools um there is a mental health crisis so anything that i can do to help support parents to protect their kids prevent that unnecessary suffering uh, and start a conversation about you know how we support them more widely not just around smashing gender stereotypes but also emotionally support them it's all a part of the same thing 
Yes. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And it's, it's just wonderful that your life's work is really making a significant difference. Um, I just wanted to reference in your article, you list three ways um, that parents can give their young boys permission to express themselves. I just wanted just briefly, if you could just sort of just touch on those three now. Um, and the first one was just um, in particular, um, normalise talking about feelings. Um, if you just wanted to, and I'll quickly just, you know, reference what the, what they are, but if you could just maybe just ex- expand on that a little bit. I mean, how can parents really then um, help normalise talking about feelings at home if for whatever reason this is something that isn't normal in their household? Hmm. Yeah, good point. Like it might be most normal thing in the world in your family. I know it was in mine. Um, I grew up in a very emotionally literate household. And so the language was there. But the reason I say normalised talking about feelings is I've noticed that it's not normal in a lot of families to talk about their feelings and to talk about it regularly. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm quite in the minority. And um, that is a real disadvantage in childhood also and later in life because if we don't have the language to label our feelings, then we go through the world kind of blind to what's happening internally, what's happening in our relationships, um, like, you know, what's happening in our body, all these things. Yeah, Absolutely. We, we don't know. And you don't so, have any idea of, of, of being able to internalise how somebody else is actually feeling and having any empathy. It's a horrible thing to grow um, into an adult and not be taught what empathy is uh, and then to, yeah. to have to learn through um, a string of, you know, just mistakes and, and just, you know, things that have happened in your life and then one day you wake up and then you do that emotional literacy work and then you sort of just go, well, this is why all these things have happened in my life. Now, it's not the child. Yeah. And it might not be that yeah. the parents' fault also because maybe they were never taught mm. themselves, but this is something that we can learn. Is that, that Yes. I believe. Well, it's a relatively yeah. new concept really. Like it is. a lot of, you know, a lot of parents right now would not have grown up in households where they ever understood their parents' feelings or knew how well they were feeling. Their parents would have thought that was a sign of weakness, not appropriate. They might probably didn't have the language either. Like we have to kind of be kind to ourselves and know that like this isn't just like a standard knowledge that everyone has access to. Uh, unless you've been to therapy and like actually learned through the process of a professional helping you learn about yourself, um, you probably don't have those tools. And I think what's important to note is that you were talking about empathy. The, how we learn empathy is actually through internal self-work. When we understand how we work, it's the same pathway inner self-work and reflection, that same pathway is applied to empathy. The people that understand themselves can better empathise and understand other people. So sometimes we think, oh, you know, talking about your feelings, it's selfish. Going to therapy is selfish. Doing the self-work is selfish. But ultimately it's it's going to strengthen other people as a result and, and you're going to be able to make them feel really good and heard and listened to and understood. Like that's what we ultimately want, right? Um, Absolutely. So ha- ways that parents can do that at home is just... I guess if you're starting from a basic sort of standard of like, I don't know how to talk about my own feelings, therapy number one. Also, Brene Brown's podcast is pretty good. There's a lot of cool podcasts out there that like I was listening to this morning. I'm constantly learning about my own emotions and doing the work. I think it's important to note that it's ongoing. It's not something that you're sort of going to know all of a sudden. Um, So just start that process and then that will also feed into how you speak to others and hopefully to your children. Um, how about emotional really good literacy book. stuff as well? I mean, there's a lot of emotional literacy courses out there um, which mm. can sort of help um, parents themselves there's, because, as yeah. we were just saying, if, if a parent hasn't been given a life skill, it's very difficult for them to, to, ha- to, to understand how to teach that to their children. So from, from that perspective, do you have any hints and tips how, I mean, a parent 
could absolutely want the best thing for their child and for them to be able to, you know, um, sort of be brought up in an agenda, um, sort of widely acceptable sort of household that, that, every, that, that there isn't any sort of clear defined stereotypes. But if, if they don't have the skills themselves to understand how to teach that to the children, where do they start? I recently read Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett and I think it's a really good starting point. It's, you know, there's a, there's an, it's not super dry, even though he is an academic and he runs the Yale Centre for Emotional Intelligence. It's really accessible. There is story in there and there are practical tools as well. And I think it's a really good intersection of, um, I wonder if I've got it here, but it's about, it basically in the, in the, 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 sort of subtitle is, you know, helping you and your family and your children um, feel and have permission to feel and access to feelings and tools to do that. So I think that's an excellent starting point. But as you mentioned, there's some cool like courses online, um, the Brene Brown podcast I really love and think it's really accessible as well. Um, but once you start going down that rabbit hole, you'll probably naturally kind of find the next thing. And I, I'm conscious of overwhelming people with resources because there's so much out there when you start doing the work. Um, so don't be overwhelmed. Take it one day at a time. Every day is an opportunity for for learning and unlearning. Um, And as you do that, you will be able to help your child and your family do that. And it's ultimately this work that you do for yourself, like I said, is also for the benefit of your family, your partner. Um, You can do it together if you're in a two-person, two-parent household. Um, or you can do it with your friends. I know a lot of, I get to find a lot of comfort in my friends and we do this work together and talk about it. So there's lots of places to go. But um, if we, I think parents also worry that they talk about their feelings to their child, their child's going to be then worried about them or concerned. And I think you can do it in a way that's age appropriate. Um, that, you know, just be strategic about what you do share. You're like, oh, mum's a bit stressed today. She's done a lot of things, which means that she needs a bit of quiet time. She needs to sit down. When I feel stressed, I feel it in my body. I feel it in my chest. I feel a bit anxious. Do you ever feel a bit stressed? What does it feel like for you? What do you do when you're feeling that way? And you could say, as a parent in role modeling, I like to do a bit of mindful breathing. And I'm going to go listen to Smiling Mind. We could do it together. Um, It's just all that kind of stuff that children pick up through osmosis even if they don't do it right now like I grew up with my parents doing um, yoga and for the longest time I rejected it and now it's sort of one of my saving graces so there's these things that you're planting seeds all the time Um, you're giving permission just by talking about feelings you're saying this is a household where we talk about feelings and it's okay and it's not weird and no one's going to reject you if you come with a feeling it's a safe space to talk about feelings and I think that's ultimately what we do by normalizing those conversations is, is give permission to to have them and there's nothing worse than your child carrying around something that you don't know about and then them years later being like I was feeling this way like I you know, it's, it's not a nice feeling. You don't want it. And it's really avoidable. And in the back of like, fear of men, I've got all these discussion questions and the feedback has already been that parents have one parent actually said she'd had the most incredible conversation she'd ever had with her child and learnt more about him, you know, in that time, things that she didn't know he was feeling or experiencing. And so I think that shows the power of just asking questions and creating safe spaces. Yes. Absolutely. The second point you've got in the article is support boys in developing healthy coping mechanisms. Could you just talk to this briefly? Sure. So it's kind of what I was saying before, like, you know, the mindful breathing or whatever it is, essentially, um, you know, we see it as self-care as well. It's basically what do you do to support your mental well-being and to process and release our emotions. So, for example, I'm feeling really anxious. I've got the language to identify that. I know where I feel that in my body. 
And so what do I do? Do I sit there and just consume more technology and make myself more anxious? I know that's a trigger for me. Or um, do I take myself out into nature and go for a walk? And for a child, it might be I'm feeling really angry and I want to like let my anger out somewhere. Um, the child could be like, I'm feeling really angry. This isn't going to end well. I've learned that last time I hit my brother, it got me in a lot of trouble. Um, he, I felt really bad. So I'm going to take myself to my room and my coping mechanism might be doing some coloring in and just sort of ferociously sort of channeling anger into coloring. Or it could be I need to like literally, some children are really physical and they need to release emotions physically. It could be that I need to like put on some music and dance around and jump in my bedroom and just like just extend what works that energy. And it's just getting to a point. Exactly. Of sort of, yes. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's like knowing through trial and error and practice what works for them so that they can create the connection so that when they're then triggered again in whatever an emotion is and they need to cope, they now know not what to do. Rather than I'm feeling angry, I'm going to swallow it and I'm going to destruct myself. And like, for example, you know, you might think that colouring is swallowing it, but it's not. It's emotional expression. Mm-hmm. Anything that is sort of creative, that lets out words, emotions, feelings is a coping mechanism. And as long as it's not hurting the child or others, it's it's healthy. But repression is really unhealthy. And absolutely, all my workshops, that's what I've learned the boys do is they'll distract themselves. So watch out for it as well. Just watch when they're feeling some big feelings. And then you say, hey, like what's going on? And they say, no, I'm just going to go play a video game. That's repression right there. It's happened. Um, so just be on the lookout. And also, you know, we do it too. So let's try and be accountable to ourselves as well and role model and the processing and articulate it. Yeah. Yeah. And the third point you've got in the article is ask boys if they ever feel pressure to act a certain way or to do certain things because they are a boy. Could you just talk to that for a moment? Mm. Yeah. I think that we often talk about this as adults and parents in these spaces about maybe gender stereotypes. We don't actually ask the child, how are you feeling about it? Um, and you will probably uncover some really interesting stuff. I like to ask younger kids, hey, what do you think it means to be a man? And they'll come back with some heavily gendered, um, very problematic ideas. And that's an opportunity to say, oh, really? Because I actually saw that like, you know, your uncle Gavin really loves to dance and you're saying that boys don't dance, but he's a really good dancer and he can like do the tango or something, you know, and like be curious question. And then they'll be like, oh yeah, that's actually not true. But (laughs) they are socialized as just as much as we are. And so through prompting questions, they'll be able to make up their own mind um, about what it means to be a boy. And ultimately that definition is going to sort of it's going to be, you know, what does it mean to be, what does it mean to be myself? What does it mean to be a person? Like it's, it's sort of like they're developing their identity. They are super interested in developing. Like children are so aware about identity from such an early age. And the reason that whenever they read my books, because it speaks to them and it speaks about identity. Like I've had feedback, you know, children with ADHD and sort of attention disorders that can't sit through a book at night that have sat there captivated, unmoving. And I think that's because it's, speaking to them and about identity and they're really really curious so they want to have that conversation and I think all it takes is you being curious too and creating Mm. spaces again and permission again to do it I mean I understand that boys are absorbing messages about what it means to be a real man from as early as three years old Um, and those messages are being Mm. sort of communicated and and laying those foundations in their heart and mind um, from from that age is, is so so young but I mean do you think that we need to be having I guess deliberate 
conversations are to support boys to counter these harmful stereotypes, to give them permission to talk about their feelings. This is something that we actually, we do need a block out time and we do need to sort of all sort of, as you said, it's something that we need to do every day, but it needs to be a deliberate act that we need to be committed to. Do you think? Yeah, well, I don't think you have to start the gender conversation every day, but you do, you know, there will be opportunities that arise, whether it be to choosing an outfit, to choosing a toy or a present for a birthday party, to who you're friends with at school, that gen- there is nothing that gender doesn't touch in our society. And so there are lots of opportunities during the day and in your role modelling to disrupt those stereotypes and provide choice. So it could be in what they wear or it could be in who cooks dinner and cleans up. Do you know what I mean? So in your view, like, Um, why do you think it's so important to widen the perspective of children and parents alike when it comes to gender stereotypes? Like, what are your thoughts? um, Well, to take you back to sort of the first conversation that we had, it's essentially about um, the pain and harm that comes when we don't give them that choice. It's about Mm. preventing that. It's, it's, it's It's not a political thing. I think people think when we're talking about gender that it becomes politicized a little bit. This is ultimately just about allowing children to feel free in their own bodies and minds to be themselves. Uh, help them not develop, a, you know, an inner bully, a mean critic, shame, like all the the harm that we carry every day that we're having to unlearn in therapy if we started that journey. Let's not pass that on to them, mm. uh, and let's let's help them develop healthy coping mechanisms. Let's rid of them of shame. Let's allow them to be themselves. I have a lot of friends that are now in their adult years are trying to get back to the kid that they were because the kid that they were, the parts of them that they actually love that, that, that are most them got shamed and they were sort of told to be repressed. Layers and like an onion, but putting the layers on top it of it, unlayer it to get back to who you actually exactly. are. Yeah, exactly. So and let's not do that for them. Let's help them sort of stay true to who they are. Yeah. And do you think overall the boys are more emotionally disadvantaged than girls? Um, This is going back to something you mentioned at the start of the chat. I wanted to go back to just for a moment as well, because you were mentioning it at the start. It's, 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 you know, it's acceptable, I guess, for for girls uh, to be um, vulnerable. But do do you think that the boys are are more emotionally disadvantaged? In, in this space? Yeah, it's context is important for that question, I think, because yes. girls face a whole other series of um, disadvantages in their lives that cause all kinds of emotional reactions, you know, whether it just be like walking home at night and the fear that arises with that. I heard a stat today that girls are three times more likely to develop anxiety disorder and I thought, is that because of we have to constantly be aware of a threat? Like, is, is that, you know, so that like they're emotionally disadvantaged in all kinds of ways, but I think when it comes to gender and emotional disadvantage through the stereotype, I do think boys are because the the set of available behaviours and emotional expression that they have available to them um, through that stereotype is so narrow, which means that the coping mechanisms aren't there, that they are less likely to help, which emotionally disadvantages them, you know, three times more likely to take their own lives. Through that lens, yes, absolutely. Um mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's part of our responsibility is to change that definition so that they can be um, emotionally free and develop resilience. And, like, why do you think overall, like, we're far less comfortable with encouraging boys to express their feminine parts of themselves? Like, what are your thoughts? (sighs) This might get a little bit philosophical for you. It's not even philosophical. Like, I did a postgrad in gender, so sometimes I can get a little bit, like, academic on it. So hopefully this translates. But basically we all believe that softness in some subconscious level have been told to believe that it's less valuable. And so 
we actually, as a result, don't respect women. Like I'm saying generally and subconsciously and sometimes consciously. Um, we don't respect women because we associate them with the softer behaviours that we think are weaker. So basically when we say to a boy, embrace softness, and the reason that like um, gay men re- receive so much slack, you know, is because they're like, how could you go and be more feminine? That's you know, when the worst thing a boy could be called as a girl, what are we teaching them about girls? You have to question that there is a hierarchy there. That's and so that powerful. little idea that they're so scared of being a girl shows you how they view girls. Um, that's ultimately it. So when you feel really uncomfortable seeing a boy in a dress, at the end of the day, uh, um, that's the sub. And I have, like, I have to admit that I, for the longest time, I felt uncomfortable too because I'd never seen it, and because it jarred something in me because all the messaging that I received it was counter to it, and I had to be really curious about why did I feel that discomfort, and that's it's essentially it. It's like, oh, you are one that just sort of warps our ideas of gender and the constructs that we've built our whole lives on for some of us. So that's really unsettling. Um, but also I think it's because we, we, we just don't respect feminine qualities and we don't want boys to engage in them. God, if that's we huge. Don't respect them. That's really yeah. huge. It's, it's, yeah, it's unsettling <laughs> that idea as well, but, but ultimately it comes back to what the book is trying to do and what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do in this conversation is show the value and the strength in softness mm. that these are inherently the, you know, the things that are going to be the most transformative that are going to bring us together as a community that are the most powerful in terms of impacting other people and making yes. them feel good and understood and connected that they're all soft qualities. So we subconsciously don't view them as strengths, but if we can do this work to start reframing them as a strength, then um, I think we'll go a long way in feeling comfortable, again, with gender stereotypes and allowing boys to be softer because we'll say this is a good thing, not a, not a bad thing. Yes. So in yeah. saying that, I mean, how can we stop boys from suppressing their feelings and how can we give them the tools um, and the language to art- articulate their feelings as well? What are your thoughts? Um, so I guess it just goes back to those key points really that I keep coming back to, which is normalize talking about feelings, give them permission through role modeling, create safe spaces. Maybe after dinner every night, you have a chat about how your day was and how you felt and why you felt that way. And did you feel that somewhere in your body? And, um, do you want to write about it in your journal? You know, all these things that we can do throughout the day and then just conversations, critical conversations about gender that are curious and open that are not a real man does this or, you know, I think we're so desperate to put us all into boxes, but ultimately we don't fit into one. No one can fit into a little box. So instead of trying to redefine what it is to be male or a boy and make a new prescription, I guess, it's just about being like, oh, you know, anyone can be whatever they want to be. We can be anything and everything, which is kind of the catchphrase of the book. And I think you can get there through curious questioning and opening and help children form their own perceptions that are free from the rigid stereotypes and help them see through it. So absolutely yeah, those are the main things. And it's so important to normalize softer behaviors, as you were saying earlier, as sensitivity, creativity, and just generally even just asking for help as well. So, mm-hmm. um, which is something I guess a lot of males aren't used to doing, actually asking for help, which is sort of switching sort of gives that energy flow as well. But you know, your, your book, Be Your Own Man, gives boys permission um, to embrace a, a, new mes- a new masculine identity that feels right for them. Um, and the book really provides positive messages for boys and young men that they are brilliant just the way that they are. 
um, and I think the way that, from my understanding, the way that it's been written is is thought thoughtfully and heartwarmingly um, in such a manner that it conveys to boys um, to be their own man and true self. Um, so, from my view, it's a must read for any parent with a son as uh, eight years and above. Is that the age um, demographic that the book is? targeted at yeah, you can you can definitely read it with um kids a little bit younger you just want to support them but if it's just you want you want to hand it over to them for a reading first like eight to twelve is the right age bracket but mm-hmm. anywhere from six up i have people buying it for their one-year-old so i'm just i'm not sure they're like i just want to show them the pictures you know there is something in just even when they're consuming new visuals and you know like a child is at two or three can understand gender um having diverse representations of what boys are doing is actually quite rare to find. So if you're just showing them the visuals and talking about it and starting a conversation, um, that's helpful too. But yeah, I think about six and up is appropriate reading level. Awesome. And um, I, I'm going to jump on off, when we finish this interview, actually jump on is Booktobia, is it? That's where we get the, um, or we can order it? Yeah, anywhere. Um, Booktobia, Dimix, um, Big W, Kmart, QBD, Readings, all, all the stores. Um, yeah, awesome. so wherever you get your books, really, and support awesome. your indies if you can. I think they're struggling at the moment. So if you've got an independent bookstore near you, they should have it. Give them a call. Beautiful. Well, this has been an awesome chat, Jess. If you were to summarise your key messages for anyone watching and listening, what would they be? Um, just create a kinder world where everyone feels free to be themselves. That's ultimately it. Um, and let's, you know, do the work and the learning so that our kids maybe don't have to. I love That's it. it. <laughs> now, if anyone's got any other messages and or want to reach out to you after this chat, whereabouts can they find you? Um, you can, I actually just deleted Instagram for a little while because I was, you can still find me. I'm just not on it. Um, it used to be my go-to place, but I'm at, I am Jess Sanders and I share a lot of stuff on there, but otherwise my website has a lot of resources, uh, lesson plans for any educators out there to support the book and, you know, they're free so you can run the lessons in your class. Um, and that is www.re-shape, like reshape with a little dash dot info. And you can email me there as well. And all the books are there for sale too, actually. Love this chat, Jess. Congratulations again. And you're doing incredible work. So well done. All the best. Thanks Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.